When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to MuggleCast, your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Micah. Unfortunately, Laura is sick this week, but luckily we have one of our Slug Club patrons on in the Laura chair, let's call it, Katie. Hi, Katie. Welcome to MuggleCast. Hi, guys. Happy to be here. We're excited to have you. Thank you so much for your longtime support. You've contributed some great thoughts to today's discussion, too. So we're so excited to have you part of our discussion. I hope all of our listeners pull out their single malt whiskey because students from two foreign wizarding schools are pulling into Hogwarts in this week's installment of Chapter by Chapter. Katie, before we go any further, can we get your fandom ID? Yes. So my favorite book is Order of the Phoenix because it's thick, and that's what I wanted at the time. Lots of pages. <laughs> more. Give me more. Favorite movie, Goblet of Fire. Because uh, to Eric's like longtime point, it's full of color. It's like the last film that's just like bursting with color. They did a lot of stuff wrong, but what they did right, they did great. And they gave us like some banger songs from the Yule Ball, which I definitely listen to. Can you dance like a hippogriff? Yeah, yeah. Hogwarts House. Slytherin. I Ooh. thought it was a Gryffindor my whole life. Uh, Pottermore told me otherwise. Wow. How are you, Katie? Still, how, how are not, you? I'm still, check in on still like, uh, I, I grew up like a jock, so I must be in Gryffindor. But then like, if I stack the tests to get in Gryffindor, then that's like a very Slytherin thing to do. So it's like an ongoing. <laughs> yes. yes, it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so just accepting it. Slytherin, Ilvermorny House, Puckwajee, and my Patronus is a heron, which I used to be very excited about because that was the author's Patronus. And now, Um, I, you know. You're less excited. Now you're like, can we just not? (laughs) Let that be the only thing we share. I shouldn't have even said that, but yeah. Now it's just yours. It's just yours. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Thank you for sharing your fandom ID, Katie. And thank you for your support on Patreon. And thanks to everybody who supports us. We really appreciate your financial support through Patreon or Apple Podcasts. So before we go any further, last week, inspired by Harry and Ron's approach to their divination homework, we took turns making predictions about one another's futures. So I thought we should revisit these and see if any of them came true. First of all, and this actually might explain why Laura isn't here this week, I predicted that Laura will encounter a great fortune, the likes of which she has never seen, but (laughs) it'll be just out of her grasp due to an unspeakable law of resistance. So maybe she's still trying to get that money or maybe she got the money. She just doesn't want to tell us the truth, right? I think she had to, yeah, she had to not be on the show in order to claim She's going to break it to us softly. Micah, you predicted that I would get offended when someone doesn't want to chit chat, but it's not an affront to me. They are processing something I wouldn't want to talk about anyway. This is so personal. (laughs) Should I be speaking to my therapist about this one or what? Because I'm not sure if this came true. 
Yeah, you might just want to check in with them to see. You know, you might be burying it on a subconscious level. Whoa, okay. Micah, Eric predicted that you would learn about a new restaurant in Indianapolis that's too good to pass up. Did that happen? I believe it did. Oh. So Eric must have some Trelawney blood in him. So see, this one is tough because I know Eric knew, or maybe he didn't know that I was going to Indianapolis next week. He did. I did, or didn't I know? I don't know. (laughs) The stars have told me. Uh, But I I, I have learned actually about several uh, restaurants in Indianapolis that seem too good to pass up. So Eric. Wow. Leading the charge here. Bon appetit. And then lastly, Laura predicted that Eric would get a lead on something new, exciting, and unexpected in the coming weeks that would transform his day to day. You know, I'm going to take it that Laura's absence is here, so it didn't come true. So must something must be a complication of that. Um, okay. I'm still waiting on that one. She did say in the coming weeks. So yeah, Eric has some time here. Yeah, yeah. You got some okay. time. Safe to say those... Uh, predictions could have gone a little bit better but i guess we're we all have a little trelawney in us i'm still waiting for our uh, tycho didonis predictions to uh really hit home the uh, (laughs) fantastic beasts uh prophecies that we made it is valentine's day week and we have a valentine's themed edition of bonus muggle cast coming up today right eric that's right uh we are going to be playing (laughs) a wonderful take on the old beloved muggle cast segment the dueling club but we're reworking it to make it the snogging club. <laughs> we're going to be spinning a wheel and then it's going to give us two random characters. And then we're going to have to argue why these two characters should be paired together. Yep. Yep. It's, I it's, can't wait. This takes oh my shipping. God. to. And Katie, you are welcome to join us in play. I cannot wait. Sign me up. Put me in coach. <laughs> All right. I'm so ready. All right. Katie's at bat. So this is like spin the bottle. That's exciting. Something to look forward to. In the bonus on Patreon, and thanks to everyone who subscribes to us on Patreon and gets cool features like the bonus MuggleCast things. This is also a new benefit of MuggleCast Gold on Apple Podcasts. So, yeah, going to be a lot of fun. And hey, Spotify listeners, did you know you can easily submit feedback each week? Just tap into an episode and you'll see a box that says, what did you think of this episode? We might even feature your feedback on that episode's page in Spotify, like we did for this piece of feedback. This was left by Josie on episode 643 a few days ago. She said, I love muggle cats. And yes, I did that on purpose, cat emoji. I am a diehard Swifty and I love this reference. The reference being that episode's title, which was which was Karma is Crookshanks purring in my lap. Thank you. Love you besties, Josie. Thank you, Josie. You know what? I will say I'm glad that it wasn't a reference to Quizich getting rid of fun usernames. I'm glad that uh, the 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 vitriol has not gone that far. So we're back, by the way, everybody, to hybrid names on Quizich. I guess we need to launch a spinoff podcast called Muggle Cats. And Eric is a cat owner, a cat father. Ooh. So you could lead that show for us, Eric. I would love to lead that show, Andrew. Please put me in, coach. <laughs> Katie, do you have any cats? I sure do. Oh, yes. You already have an apparel line too, Eric, that you can start with. That's right. I have uh, an apparel line that says Martha can do no wrong or Martha Martha's way is the right way. Something like that. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, no matter where you listen, no matter how you support us, thank you, everybody. We really appreciate it. And now it's time for chapter by chapter. And this week, we're going to discuss Goblet of Fire, chapter 15, Bobaton and Durmstrang. And we'll start, as always, with our seven-word summary. Katie, are you ready? Oh, boy. Uh, yes. Put me in, coach. She's gonna play. <laughs> okay, here we go. Foreigners. Arrive. At. The. Clean. <laughs> Squeaky. School. Perfect. I think we just need to add a little comma right here. Clean, squeaky school. Yeah. Or clean hyphen squeaky. But then is that one less word? (gasps) Oh, wait. Yeah. Separate. Comma. 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 (laughs) Okay. So for this first part of this discussion, I want to talk about the Imperious Curse and Moody's DADA class. 
I was chuckling as I was reading this chapter because last week we were debating whether or not Dumbledore knew that Fakie was teaching the Imperius curse. I am now confident Dumbledore did not know that these curses were being taught in Moody's class because in this class, in this chapter, Moody claims Dumbledore wants the Imperius curse taught on all of them. And there is no <laughs> way. There is no way. So I I am I I am now convinced Dumbledore does not know. And this also makes me think that these unforgivable curses are only being taught in Harry's class because if he was teaching this to all the students that he had and doing the imperious curse on all the students, it had it would have a much higher chance of getting out of somebody finding out what he was up to. I mean, this really represents the biggest secret kept from Dumbledore that's right under his nose. I mean, if if this is true, Andrew, it means Dumbledore does absolutely not know what's going on in the school. Yeah. It's kind of like an own a little bit. I mean, are you prepared to say that Dumbledore is that clueless? Ooh, well, it's a big school. And the, I just I can't compute why Dumbledore why would see this going on and be like, oh, whatever, it's fine. It would be cruel. It would be a fireable offense at the ministry level. Yeah, he probably trusts Moody, who he believes to be Moody so much that he doesn't even audit the class. Ooh, because he's like, it's Moody. It's 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 Alistar. There's just there's just no way that he would do anything like this. And Fakie makes up stuff like you know. The big guys don't want you to know to make the kids, you know, to give them some agency and confidence that they're allowed to participate in this very exciting horror type training. Yeah. Yeah. And and to the question about whether or not this is only Harry's class, I'm not so sure of that because we're told that they're not supposed to learn the unforgivable curses until sixth year. So presumably, I don't see why he wouldn't be teaching this in fourth year, fifth year, sixth year. Mm-hmm. You know, and and to kind of expand on that, someone raised this in the last episode. I can't remember if it was Laura or it was you, Eric, but this is very much a playing with your food moment for Barty Crouch mm. Jr. He is literally able to perform unforgivable curses on 14-year-olds with zero repercussions. And it reminds me of McGonagall's comments from earlier in the book that surely Dumbledore would have mentioned something to Moody about using transfiguration as a punishment. So if Dumbledore doesn't allow transfiguration as a punishment, he surely doesn't allow his professors to perform unforgivable curses on his students. Yes. like 100%. So I agree with Andrew. He does not know about this. There's no way. Um, well, going back to again, I just I really have always thought that Dumbledore is like omniscient about every like every time Harry sneaks out, I'm like Dumbledore somewhere has a gizmo that went off in his office and knows about this. <laughs> the I just always pictured that. And this he got a little air tag alert. Your Harry has has left you. He has left the school boundaries. <laughs> He's checking his his snap map. He's checking his <laughs> Harry Potter snap map. Well, anyway, however, you know, this is well reasoned. Andrew, like lately, this this really stumps me. And the only way I can reconcile that Dumbledore wouldn't actually know is if Moody is putting or sorry, Fakie is putting a secret imperious curse on the students to where they're not allowed to tell an adult what's going on. Maybe the curse has not been lifted after they leave class. I want to also address, Eric, the point about Dumbledore knowing everything that's going on, being omniscient. I, I agree with you. I have agreed with you before on that take. I feel like it makes sense that he really does know or knows, let's say, 99% of what's going on. But then moments like this happen and I'm like, I feel like this is proof he doesn't. He's attending events coordination meetings about the Goblet of Fire. Oh, yeah, maybe he's just busy. How many meetings could they have had given how badly it goes? (laughs) He's cleaning the trophies. He's he's helping cleaning the school as well. He's like, oh, Nesting mothers, uh, it's probably fine. <laughs> Perhaps a little too dangerous, but if that's the only one we got, gotta do it, I guess. So then there's the question of the trio and why they would just go with it. Did it cross their minds that Dumbledore would actually 
not want them to be imperious. And I see Court, who's listening live right now on our Patreon, bring this up too. Why didn't Hermione rat him out? I'm wondering if they didn't question it because they went into their first DAD class being very excited about Moody. They had heard good things about him. Their guard was down when it came to Moody. This and the events of the Quidditch Cup uh, you know, with the resurgence of the Death Eaters really does sell that it's darker times, um, darker times call for darker lessons. I think that, you know, it's funny to see, you know, if that is a reason why people's guard was a little bit more down, they're used to getting into a little bit more or they're amenable to the idea of getting into, into harder lessons or deeper, darker magic. Uh, it's because of something that Fakey actually did earlier in the year in casting the Dark Mark. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. But yeah, presumably this is a fireable offense right if this word got yeah. out if if any student wrote home to their parents and said oh yeah you know what did i do in school today i got imperious and you know did cartwheels around the room or almost jumped out the window like if you're a wizarding world parent you have to be very concerned about this and mm-hmm. there's even a through line to order the phoenix because there's now a track record for students not going yep. to dumbledore or their head of house to basically tell on what their professors are doing, right? With Think about with Umbridge, Harry's in detention and he's got this scar now that's showing up on his hand because literally what he's writing is burning into his skin and he doesn't go to anybody about that. Presumably that would have gotten Umbridge tossed out right away. And I think it's the same thing here for Moody. If anybody would have said something about this, Moody would have been gone. You just reminded me too that I think Umbridge... Speaking of Order of the Phoenix, I'm pretty sure when she's um, dissing every single DADA professor and Harry gets all offended, the last thing she says is she comments on Moody doing this stuff um, with mirth. And then Harry's like, oh, because it was, you know, it was a death eater. And then that's one of his detentions. Mm. So it does come out at some point. Like the details of this. That's and a also, point. I mean, this could be cause to fire Dumbledore, too. I mean, the the buck has to stop with somebody, and it should probably be the person who hired Moody or Fakey. <laughs> Why wasn't he vetted more? I, I look. I know it's bizarre to hear me say this because I tend to be the guy defending Dumbledore, but it's very upsetting that this Death Eater was working undercover at Hogwarts, imperiousing the students, lying about Dumbledore. Somebody has to take the fall here, and not just Fakey. Let's talk about the Imperious Curse and what happens. We actually get an inside look at how it feels to be put under the Imperious Curse. Harry experiences the most wonderful feeling, a floating sensation as every thought and worry in his head was wiped gently away, leaving nothing but a vague, untraceable happiness. He stood there feeling immensely relaxed, only dimly aware of everyone watching him. I thought this was a very interesting description. I don't think it's what I would have expected, uh, especially because this is an illegal curse and and very, very dangerous. But on the other hand, reading it, I do understand it because it's it's almost wiping out your brain to control you. You don't have any other mm-hmm. feelings because you shouldn't. You're being controlled. Right. Right. Yeah. All of the suffering that we have, all of the, if you have anxiety, if you have um, intrusive thought, all of that's gone because your only thought is what you're being told to do. It's sad, actually, that Harry goes to this place of relief and happiness mm-hmm. because he's been so traumatized that he's pro- he's never felt calmer <laughs> than when he's under the Imperius curse. I, I think that's what we're meant to take away from it, that it's that it's actually a tragic thing that Harry is relieved uh, to be in this state. Mm. Sure. Yeah, some people might feel um, I suppose. You, everybody would feel this relief so that they would do the thing. But I would imagine maybe some people feel discomfort, not relief, but but nothingness or unconcern. But yeah, the, the word relief is interesting there when you call it out like that. What could he be, you know, to be thir- thir- 14 and needing relief from something? Yeah, there's yeah seemingly this false sense of security that exists mm-hmm. in being under the imperious curse. And thinking about it, these two, well, if you look at Imperio and Crucio, they're really at the opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of what they do to you, right? Because Imperio makes you feel, at least because we've only seen it experienced through Harry's eyes, 
safe, right? Comfortable. The Cruciatus curse inflicts severe pain. So mm-hmm. it's it was just interesting to me that these are kind of at different ends of the spectrum in terms of what they do to you, even though they're unforgivable. Yeah. Well, yes and no on that, um, because Fakey is ultimately doing relatively safe things to them with the Imperious Curse. I think that the issue that comes is once you um, are experiencing harm or pain, the curse kind of forces you to do that, too. So it's it, like mm-hmm. he says that um, the Imperious Curse can be used to make the spider drown itself. Right. Like that wouldn't be a blissful feeling while it's doing it. But maybe. Because the agency is completely removed. So you don't, well, the agency in that is, moment. But yeah, but your body would be protesting. Your lungs would be wanting to, it would be a hard, it's already a horrible thing. But to would they? It. Like, that's the question. And that's what makes this, I think, probably outside of the killing curse, the most dangerous of any of the unforgivable curses, because you're literally going to do anything without any kind of resistance unless you're somebody like Carrie or somebody who's practiced in being able to resist this type of curse. I mean, you'll you'll be a death eater for years, right? And then claim that you were imperialist. Lucius Malfoy, I think, there was like be a test. our most- but Yeah, you're right, Katie. Um, um, well, and, and, the, and doesn't Moody say the ministry was really, well, fakey says around this area of the book that the ministry was having a hard time figuring out who was imperialist and who wasn't. So to your Mm -hmm. point, Eric, about a test, like, unfortunately, you're saying like a test to detect if somebody was imperialist or not. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like uh, Mm -hmm. everyone who claims that they were imperialist uh, should have their drawing room floor searched for trapdoors to a a cellar full of evil and dark objects and then be given the benefit of the doubt only after a thorough search has been completed. Right. Or very personal questions. Right. Yeah. Right. Nicknames, Molly Wobbles, yeah, and all that <laughs> that kind of stuff. I was wondering if there's a Muggle equivalent to these sensations that Harry is describing, or certain adult vices. <laughs> if you're sedated on some level, or you're drugged on some level, I think where you lose control of your abilities, that could certainly yeah be comparable. There's the the big difference between the the uh, motor control you know, from in the muggle world, any kind of sedation usually compromises physical ability and Moody's having people do somersaults and dancing and all of this stuff, which requires like very detailed motor control, which I, I failed to find because of that, any, anything close to that in our world. It's a good point. It's like somebody's inhabiting your body. It's just not you. Yeah. Puppet master. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the personal like detachment that one feels to one's own body could be maybe achieved or similarly by like meditation. Um, But you're, you're entering, you know, kind of a very slow moving to your point, Katie, like state and your, 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 your body is not active during this time. You're sort of freeing your mind, depersonalizing, finding a higher plane of enlightenment. It has nothing to do with cartwheels Mm -hmm. and somersaults. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All the positive things of letting go and finding relief from within. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think Laura had a pretty good suggestion here too, which was hypnosis. That might be the closest. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, there, I think there is plenty of examples in culture and, and, like psychology, the history of psychology of people doing things, doing things. But I've never tried it myself. Me neither. I, I'm afraid I'm to. I'm a bit skeptical. Yeah, You're that afraid too. to? Uh, well, yeah, I don't want to be controlled. If it actually works. Well, because in high school, we had these, like, after the dance, there would be, like, this event at the school to keep you away from, like, partying and whatnot later into the night after prom or whatever. And they would bring in a hypnotist. And they'd have like 10 students up on stage and they would do it. And I was present for these. I wasn't on the stage. But these people, you know, when I snap my fingers, you will fall asleep. When I snap my fingers, you'll wake up. When I snap my fingers again, you'll do a dance, stuff like that. And I, it seemed pretty convincing to me. I didn't hear everybody fell in line. Yes. It wasn't just like the theater kids that all signed up and then did it. (laughs) Oh, you know what? Coincidentally, (laughs) coincidentally, all the volunteers were from the theater department. (laughs) Andrew, I'm with you 100 percent. Anytime I see that and it's like supposedly real and it's in front of me, I I'm terrified. What if it were me? I, I don't like the idea of not being in control of my own body. Amen to that. 
Well, let's keep moving along here. Somebody mentioned a few uh, minutes ago that Harry was able to resist the curse to an extent. Part of him didn't understand why he should have to jump on the desk, which is showing his resistance. Fakie is actually very impressed by this, and Harry's the only student that can resist. But I was also thinking, so Fakie's enjoying himself, but is he secretly mad? Because he's learning here that Harry's a pretty good fighter in a way he didn't necessarily know. Mm. Yeah, so I, I had this thought that you know, because he not only teaches the kids Imperious Curse, but he makes Harry do it four times until Harry can throw it off completely. And later in this book, I'm pretty sure Voldemort tries to use it on him in the graveyard with like the bow thing. I think, I think Lucius tries it again. So he, he's equipping Harry with the very skills that Harry will use against the Death Eaters. And um, it, it, whereas like surely a guy of this much power if he's inside Harry's mind could probably do like a nonverbal uh, hex to weaken Harry or like mess him up, you know, plant some kind of seed there. He could easily sabotage Harry in some way. Um, and it made me think about Polyge's potion. And um, if somebody takes it for long enough, do they kind of, is there a risk for um, disassociative identity disorder where you actually start to believe the person that you are like is it possible that Barty Crouch is just getting so into Moody's character that he's just excited feeding off of these kids and um you know leaning into his role as the zany professor uh just knowing that like you know the the stronger Harry is in the back of his mind he's justifying it like stronger Harry is uh, the more Voldemort will appreciate the fight or something, you know, like he Ooh, could be making up all kinds of lies maybe. to himself. Like, I do think there's in the LARP community, we call it character bleed. I do think that oh, sure, uh, Barty okay. Crouch has care, has some character bleed here. There it um, goes. Yeah. You know, Professor Moody, Professor Moody loves being called that. Yeah. Uh, so fascinating. And I, he's really, you know, think he was an Azkaban like this could he could be really enjoying his time here. Yeah. I keep coming back to Eric too, like complimenting Barty Crouch Jr. a few weeks ago, being like, I'm impressed by you. And at first I was like, wait, what? But as we continue to read and as we continue to analyze, I get it. Like these points being brought up. What a fascinating character. <laughs> yeah. Kind of really seriously. interesting. Yeah. And, and and it's like he likes Voldemort or he's at one point, he's on Voldemort's side. He's willing to be part of this plot to get Harry to go to meet Voldemort and die. But he also really wants to train Harry a little bit to kind of mm -hmm. give the Death Eaters a run for their money. And mm -hmm. there is something pretty sick about it. It's the playing with your food before you're eating it. But yeah. actually, Harry is thankful. And I, I think um, in the future, Harry, you know, really credits Fakey for uh, even just he's the one who tells him he should become an Auror. That is a life path that Harry does go down. So it definitely we can't discredit the impact that this no. Death Eater disguised teacher has on Harry's development. It's really interesting. No. Nor can we forget that he does sleep next to a body in the trunk Ooh. every night. Ooh. So what a, what a creep layer, layer upon layer of complexity there to the point where Harry asks about it and he's like, yeah, it's got some cool stuff. <laughs> ZN in the Discord says that Fakies love bombing Harry. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. For Valentine's Day, of course. Yay. I, I think he just really enjoys it though. I I think there's something about him that loves the fact that Harry is resisting this and yes. it presents a bit of a challenge that he maybe wasn't expecting. So uh I also think that there's like a connecting the threads bit here to Lupin because with Expecto Patronum, how many times does Lupin push Harry till he finally gets it right? Much like Moody does the same thing here until he's finally able to resist the Imperius curse. So there's definitely connections. I know we talked about Umbridge earlier, but there's a bit of a connection here with Lupin as well. We are going to discuss whether or not Harry's Horcrux could be in play in this scene. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. One thing I wanted to call out, because we are pretty good at identifying moments throughout the series now that we know that Harry is part Horcrux, and... This is a moment Wait, I feel what? like we should. Oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Did you not Spoilers? finish book seven? I know you didn't like it. When did like this it. happen? 
I wanted to ask, is Harry resisting in this moment, the Imperious Curse, or is the Horcrux resisting? I love because this question. One would assume Voldemort is extremely good at resisting the Imperious Curse. Mm-hmm. And we hear a voice talking back to Harry inside of his head. Now, I don't want to take anything away from Harry. We know he's good against defense against the dark arts. It's his best subject. But I also feel like we often throw out the question, is it his best subject because it was Tom Riddle, one of Tom Riddle's best subjects? Yeah. So uh, it's Harry's not really good at anything. I don't think we ever hear Harry have an, argu- an internal argument with himself mm. ever, except for this one moment. So it is kind of um, probably a coincidence, though, but interesting that it's also in the centerpiece book of the seven. Yeah. Could be hinting at I- what's to come. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like the idea that he hears this other voice when he's in a like a trance-like state. So he's able to connect on a like totally deep level with another persona or another 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 personality is here. I do think it it I love this theory. And normally when we ask the question, you know, is Harry's Horcrux giving him an advantage here? I would usually say no in the earlier books, especially. But in this case, I'm prepared to endorse that, Micah. I'm prepared to say this is like the first real you know, time where the Horcrux really shines. It's because Harry has something that the other students don't. No other student is as good or uh, fails to be completely controlled uh, the first time, but Harry is. And I think it's because when Harry's mind is wiped with the Imperius curse, there's still someone else there. Also, just want to throw out a little foreshadow alert because Harry says... The way Moody talks, you'd think we were all going to be attacked any seconds. I'd say that's uh, foreshadowing what's going to be happening at the end of this book. So now let's move on to the other half of this discussion, the excitement around the Triwizard Tournament. So the Bobatin and Durmstrang students are arriving on Halloween Eve, and the students are very excited. Though Ron is, Ron's mood is a, a little dampered because uh, we learn that Hufflepuff's Cedric Diggory will be putting his name in the goblet, and Ron clearly does not like him. <laughs> he said, that idiot, Hogwarts champion? And Hermione thinks Ron doesn't like him because he beat Gryffindor at Quidditch, and then Ron retorts that Hermione just likes him because he's handsome. The first thing I think of when Ron, when I hear Ron saying, Cedric, that idiot, is you don't even know him. When would Ron and Cedric have interacted? Like, at least Harry and Cedric have actually played on the same team. You know, they played a game together. Ron is just bandwagoning, and I think he's doing it because, like, he was probably next to Harry when Amos Diggory at the beginning of the year was like, oh, my son beat your, you know, Harry and Quidditch, and isn't he awesome and stuff. But the thing is, That was Cedric's dad. Cedric himself is a class act. Cedric is such a class act that he that the Goblet of Fire picks him to be Hogwarts' champion. So I just think it's unfair for Ron to remember he wanted a rematch. He offered Harry a rematch, right? At the end of Prisoner of Azkaban or in in the book somewhere. Yeah, he well, he had requested when he found out why Harry fell off his broom. So it just comes down to looks then, right? Ron knows Cedric's yeah. a good-looking <laughs> guy. He's a Chad, and Ron's not. Ron's <laughs> mad about it. <laughs> I mean, Ron basically admits it comes down to looks. He says yeah. to Hermione, you like him just because he's handsome. That's that's a classic thing that happens in school. You're jealous. This is that squirrel, though. Yes, yes. Happy Valentine's mm-hmm. Day. Th- this is Ron's um, character flaw. We know this, and he's pre-attacking and pre- he's getting pre-defensive for no reason against any potential threats totally in his uh, pursuit of Hermione. Yeah. Also thought it could be kind of fun to talk about Ron from the standpoint of you know, for all we've seen through these first couple of books, he's very much team Gryffindor. He hasn't expanded to be anything more than that yet. And that obviously changes very quickly once Harry's name comes out of the Goblet of Fire and he's all about Cedric as opposed to being about Harry, but it's also just a maturity thing, I think, for Ron, where you know he, he's grown up knowing Gryffindor, but he's not grown enough yet to see you know, kind of being team Hogwarts. He's like, mm-hmm. if Cedric's name does come out of the Goblet of Fire, which it obviously does, 
he's not willing at this time to be accepting of that. Like he wouldn't get behind somebody who is representing his entire school, not just Hufflepuff. So I think as we talked about in the previous chapter with Ron related to Spew, he's got a lot of growing up to do. This is a tough book for Ron. A lot of growing pains. No, it is a good point, Micah. And it is a bummer that Ron isn't in a position where he could be like Team Hogwarts instead of Team Myself. (laughs) (laughs) So the faculty is very excited about today as well. And the school wants to put its best foot forward. The school is undergoing an extra thorough cleaning. And this reminded me of when big events happen in the muggle world in cities. I'll always remember uh, growing up in South Jersey, uh, the the Democratic or Republican National Convention was coming to Philadelphia just oh. over the river from me. And oh, boy, was Philadelphia cleaning itself up. <laughs> you know, those dividers in the road, like those cement dividers in the middle mm-hmm. of the road to separate like uh, opposing traffic. They were painting bricks on these cement dividers to make it look classier. (laughs) Stuff like that. When a head of state comes into the country, a city cleans up. We were hearing about that happening in San Francisco a few months ago. It's time to go undergo an extra thorough cleaning. (laughs) That's a great example. I, I just think, yeah, like it's funny because growing up, somebody coming over who's not normally over and used to your level of cleanliness, let's just say, um, was the main impetus to actually do cleaning was the main was the main, you know, it's like no matter who it is, you really want to put your best foot forward. And so it's fun to see, I get I would say cooperation, but it all just seems like it's just mostly filch, um, you know, who's going around and having to clean up. Mm. Hogwarts it's also the funnier thing about this to me is it's a medieval castle there's no way it's like <laughs> there's no way it can get like super cl- unless they start painting the bricks gloss uh, play, paint a coat of gloss on everything yeah yeah there's no way to really mm-hmm. get it to look nicer and and what does nicer even mean like more modern necessarily yeah this just for uh, occurred to me that it's almost a bit of foreshadowing for the yule ball too because in a few chapters, we'll hear about how all the people are doing this to their own hair and looks the same way, you know, in anticipation of, of showing up. We get like a similar um, thing with how Sprout and Hagrid, you know, how everyone's taming themselves. Um, and it's fun. There's a lot of makeovers in this book. It's uh, it's kind of it's a meme behavior, uh, mm. you know, like you said, all these trends that are coming out of this event. Um, yeah. In the original meaning of meme. Eric just brought up Filch, but I really do hope they give him some assistance. I don't think it's fair that they would make him clean the entire castle <laughs> with no um, magical Magic. help at all hmm. uh, from any well, of the other professors or students for that matter. This so. is the book yeah. where it's all about house elves. House elves are probably mm. helping, mm. which doesn't they necessarily make us feel better. Um, but I know that in the Jim K illustrated version, uh, there's a house of cleaning. So pick your pick your poison. Yeah. And it's it's funny how how cleaning is reserved for detention. It's kind of troubling that like no none of these students are learning the self-care of cleanliness in a oh way my, right yeah. like that's such a great point katie like oh yeah. my god I, it just came to me like well and honestly I, that happens in the muggle world too your parent might punish you by being like punish go you to mow the sure. lawn or go clean your room sure. or stuff like that but you're yeah, so but right what about, what about pride what about, pride. What about the, the, yes. this like school pride let's all chip in together yeah get it yeah like let's sure. let's volunteer we're taking volunteers to go you know mow the quidditch mm-hmm. pitch or something that never happens well, like, you're, like you're 16 17 make your own bed like how are you getting ready for the real world <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Listen, right? that, i should hope they're coddled in their beds <laughs> so by the house elves. Yes. yeah uh you know it's funny that nobody at hogwarts has learned the everyday magic of tidying up Yes. Ah, you're making a reference to the Marie Kondo book of the same name. I love cleaning. I've always been somebody who really enjoys cleaning. Kids, if if your parents are punishing you with with cleaning things when you've been bad, enjoy it. Listen to (laughs) MuggleCast or MuggleCats 
while you're cleaning right. up. Or dear maybe, Forrest, dear Luke, yes. uh, you know, surprise your parents. Tell them MuggleCast has recommended that you clean something and ask your parents where they would like the help. I'll do my chores and you don't even have to pay me a dollar. I'll do it for free because I hear cleaning is a cool thing to do. Well, don't do that because your labor has value. <laughs> <laughs> I love cooking and folding laundry to MuggleCast, so Aww. it all works. That's my thing. Basically, yeah. what we're saying is it can feel good to, to step away from a screen. It could feel therapeutic. I'd be folding laundry right now. I just don't have clean laundry right now. <laughs> I didn't watch it first. Unless you're playing Luigi's Mansion, then you could be staring at a screen and feeling good about cleaning things up at the same time. It's so satisfying when the ghosts go. Oh, yeah, that sound is so satisfying. I so agree. All right. So the other schools do arrive and it's very different than the movie. Oh, boy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, so I think there's a huge opportunity for the TV show to max this because we get it at the end of the movie, right? When both Bo Baton and Durmstrang are leaving. But their entrances are so freaking cool. And all we get in the movie is just the doors of the Great Hall busting open, some oh, like yeah. cartwheels and butterflies. And that's it. Yeah. Blowing, blown kisses for the pretty French girls and then Cossack, extreme physical Cossack dancing for all of the big burly guys. Mm -hmm. You know, at least we do get to see the um, vehicles fly away at the end. That's uh, of yeah, the movie. But into the, so, but it definitely, uh, I think, suffered in the adaptation from over, over condensation here. Yeah, these were epic arrivals. Mm -hmm. So in terms of how the movie does it, of course, Durmstrang is all men. Bobaton is Bobaton. I always I always say it differently. Uh, all That's women. Okay, Andrew, we're working on it. We have all the book to get it right. Well, by Michael chapter thirty eight. <laughs> by chapter thirty eight, you're gonna be a Bobaton. Why did I ever say that? Well, in fairness, well, in fairness to Andrew. Michael Gambon's Dumbledore also says Bo Battens. Oh, yeah. maybe that's where it's coming of from. He then. Does. Cause I'm one of the only like five people on earth who liked uh Michael Gambon's portrayal of Dumbledore. It's but true. Anyway, this whole movie portrayal of an all guy school and all girls school, it doesn't really make sense because if these schools are boys only or girls only, where do the other students who aren't boys or girls respectively go to school? And why aren't mm -hmm. they competing in the Quidditch World Cup? It doesn't make yeah. sense. No. Didn't you know that there are no French men, Andrew? And <laughs> oh, that's it. Okay. Micah, you were just over in Paris. Can you confirm that? That is a lie. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh. So the Bobaton arrive via a powder blue <laughs> giant horse-drawn carriage and Harry notes Madame Maxine's height, and we get a sense of her accent in the writing as well, which is honestly very fun to read, I think, similar to how Hagrid's uh, manner of speaking is, is very fun to read. Um, and reading this area and knowing that they later will be in a relationship, Hagrid and Maxine, it almost mm. feels like Dumbledore is being a wingman for Hagrid. Because yes. Dumbledore says that Hagrid will take excellent care of your horses. Don't worry about it. And she also says that her horses only drink single malt whiskey, <laughs> which I think will be music <laughs> to Hagrid's ears. Only the finest single malt whiskey. Like He's got barrels of it. He's been waiting for this moment. <laughs> yeah, I can get some AI of Dumbledore being Hagrid's wingman if you'd like. Yeah. No? No. Maybe? I like it. I'm not sure what that would look like. I guess I guess uh, he'd be at uh, a bar, uh, an establishment with Hagrid, perhaps, or looking at Tinder together. The, the thing oh. for me, I I think we're just not used to seeing it through Harry's eyes or whatever. But this is perfectly on the dot stately behavior. This mm. is a hundred. The delegations are arriving. You know, they're welcoming each other. Dumbledore has his kiss of her hand, Maxime's hand, and the, yes, I assure you, your horses will be well taken care of. 
our gamekeeper, you know, will take care of our care of magical creatures. Stitches. So, you know, he is doing Hagrid a solid, but at the same time, it's I, I think that it's just very it just is Hagrid's lucky day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really? That right. He's the one who's going to be able to handle these massive horses. Also, I don't think we ever get a real explanation as to why they are the way that they are. Like why they drink whiskey? What's part of their stuff? <laughs> I mean, they drink whiskey because they're badass, and that's what I keep telling myself. <laughs> Do they eat? <laughs> they only drink whiskey. Well, whiskey is a meal, actually. I think it's three okay. of the seven on the food pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> okay, got it. It's sugar because of alcohol. Anyway, I'm not gonna right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do had canon that Dumbledore is a, is a matchmaker and that um, he that's like how he puts his powers of manipulation and love for drama to good use is just by kind of like setting people up with little concern. Although to your point, Eric, this is just a diplomatic gesture. Amazing. No, I, I love it. A and little bit of both, perhaps. I, I think I've said on the show before that Dumbledore having being so old and having been in Hogwarts for so long, he needs ways to keep himself entertained. And here's a great way playing matchmaker for some homies. Cause clearly he's not paying attention to what's going on in his classes. So he might as well just be a wingman. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, so, sorry to bring the mood down, but what if he's like, if he has to also conceal his sexuality or he feels like he has to stay in the closet, then he's also, he's playing matchmaker to kind of distract himself Mm. I've I've written some fan fiction with this premise, but I won't talk about it here. Ooh. We don't have to include this in the show, but Whoa. I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> uh, this sounds interesting. <laughs> Maybe for the bonus. No, tell us. The premise is uh, it's Arthur and Molly's time at Hogwarts and Madame Pomfrey's like a, a Meredith Grey type of young um, healer coming to the school. And Dumbledore, this was before Potter No More released the background on Minerva McGonagall, but... Dumbledore and, you know, McGonagall are like on the same team and he kind of positions um, them together to he sends Minerva to Pomfrey's room before the feast where she's very nervous um, with like a little bit of scotch to to just like calm her nerves. And things happen. Oh, interesting. And Dumbledore is kind of pulling the strings the whole time. Wow. Before we uh, move on to Durmstrang, I did just want to ask about Madame Maxime. I know we touched a little bit on her appearance and how she's introduced in this book, but this is certainly something we could talk more about in terms of how the French are represented uh, in Goblet of Fire and and beyond as we spend more time with Fleur. But it's definitely coming from a certain perspective. It's probably the best way to (laughs) frame it for right now. And I'm sure Chloe could provide um, some more insight here, and I'm pretty sure they talked about it on the All Girls episode as well, but they don't do Madame Maxime many favors here, and I'm wondering if it's coming from a certain perspective that the author has, or maybe others (laughs) have of... Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's like she's a handsome woman. I actually think she's one of the few women that the author describes that's not either you know, the, the, her typical archetypes of like the, her, the smart Hermione or like a pretty annoying person. Um, she's like a very power, strong, handsome, uh, empowered. I think it's the French, all of the f- English perspective on French people is like, they're all snobby. Why? I don't know. That comes across a little. She is written to have like a little bit of her nose in the air. Is that what you're kind of talking about, Micah? Like that sort of. Yeah. And I guess just kind of the shock value that Ron and others have upon seeing her for the first time as she gets out of the carriage. Mm-hmm. It's just her too, like. I, giant well, yeah. thing. And I'm and and I don't know necessarily that uh, to your point, Micah, that the explanation is ever really given for why Madame Maxime looks the way she does or why the students are arriving on giant horses. Like, I'm sure there's a very culturally interesting reason for all of it that just isn't included in this book. And, you know, before we go and say that the author did like, didn't want to spend time on it or whatever, like the author was very rushed with this book. And so I think that there were some things that might have been in the book, including greater backstory or understanding of why these things are happening or why, each of the schools are the way they are. 
Um, like, I don't know why Durmstrang, which I thought we were just talking about being way up north and I was thinking mountains, but maybe not have a, a sinkable ship. Like, why? What's the deal with that? Like, there's some interesting kind of choices that I'd love to know more about. Yeah, I mean, there are phrases used as her being unnaturally large. Harry had mm-hmm. only seen one other person as large as this woman. Uh, but then to your point, she is referred to be handsome, olive-skinned. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it could be a conversation for another time. Mm. Also, in terms of the height, I mean, we have to remember that Hagrid does enter a relationship with her for some mm-hmm. time. We don't know if it lasts forever. Uh, so maybe it could just be as simple as that, trying yeah, to pair them up. It's the foreshadowing to to the whole Rita Skeeter um, giant giantess mm. blow up that they have down the line. I think. Also, it's just hard to date when you're tall, right? I mean, hell yeah, I'm five eleven. If you're five eleven, see, I'm five eleven. And- My wife is five two. Oh wow! Okay, we're really cute together. You're, I, I <laughs> bet you're really cute together. I was gonna say because it's it's hard to date when you're tall. So Hagrid and Madame Maxime, I mean, they had to give it a shot. No, I guess what I was trying to get at, wh- whether we're talking about Bobaton or Durmstrang with uh, Madame Maxime and Karkaroff, is just the first impressions that we're receiving of these foreign dignitaries. Right? They're not overly flattering, and that goes yeah, back no. to the author. Yeah. In my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's yes. fair. I mean, Karkaroff is like this greasy, oily salesman with like dirty teeth. <laughs> well, hang on. The movie does him much worse. I, I, the the description well, in the book, the description in the book of Karkaroff is savage, but fun. He's described <laughs> Harry's, Harry's perspective is that he has a weak chin. And I think that's that is and the best insult of a, a dignitary you could ever say is somebody he, like a masculine a guy has a weak chin. He also is describing him as having a fruity, unctuous voice. And I had to look up that word unctuous. It means excessively flattering or ingratiating, oily, false, or having a greasy or soapy feel. So he's a sleazebag. Greasy. I, not not necessarily a flattering uh, portrayal in the books either, but I, I see what you're saying, Eric. Um, but yeah, we can talk about that more as we learn about these characters in the chapters ahead. The chapter does end with a big surprise for Ron. His fave quiz- Quidditch player is still a student. <laughs> we all do it. We His all do it. His fave Quidditch player, uh, <laughs> put in your favorite here, is still a student. And he's part of Durmstrang's envoy. I, of course, am referring to Crum. Oh, man, so much competition for Ron. This chapter, Cedric, Crum. Uh, he's got his work cut out for him. So we will move on to some odds and ends. But first, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. So... With Sirius on his way to England, Harry made a last-ditch effort to try and keep him out of the country and away from potentially being captured. Harry seemed really proud when he wrote his letter at the top of this chapter to Sirius. Like, okay, that solves that. And then later, (laughs) Sirius says, nice try. I'm still coming. In fact, I'm already here in hiding. Hey, where is he hiding? Anybody know? Do we find out later? Uh, Well, I mean, no, he eventually moves to the cave in Hogsmeade. Could that be where he is now, though? That seems too close. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's for an initial can, arrival. Yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, it's an interesting question. He's at a muggle motel. Ooh, okay. Maybe um, a red roof inn? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, something like that. Sounds good. He's in a Motel 6. They left the light on for him. Oh, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> There's something there. We left the Lumos for you. We let you Lumos. Something like that. We Lumos the light on for you. <laughs> But it still seems really risky to me that he's coming back into the country. Laura, who isn't here this week, put in a great point as well. He's still signing his letters. Serious? Come on, my guy. (laughs) He tells Harry. He's yelling at Harry for Hedwig, but he's yelling at Harry. He says, you know, change owls uh, when you want to talk more because I don't want people noticing that Hedwig's coming to a certain place again and again. But it also seems in this crazy magical world it it wouldn't be difficult to a know when harry was writing to sirius specifically just to be able to detect that somehow and b mm. track where an owl is going i mean <laughs> you 
we got the Marauders map to follow humans, human wizards. The owls. I'm convinced the owls as a mystery is not going to be solved in our lifetimes. Like how they work, how they, how it is that they find you. <laughs> it's not something that can be figured out. It works, but we don't know how because you would just presumably you could just chase an owl and find Sirius Black and somebody in the government could have done this day one, like get any bird to send Sirius Black, you know, a letter and it would find him, but it mustn't work because nobody's done it. Yeah. I guess people's eyes aren't necessarily on this yet. So yeah, no one really cares too much about Harry the way that they will in the next book. Mm. In that yeah. sense. I mean, like, although they were looking for Sirius Black all of last year is the thing. Right. So, but then he flew away. He's gone. <laughs> and there's, <laughs> and there's no reason to think that Harry would be corresponding with him. So right. why, why track Hedwig at this point? Yeah. Also, this is a chapter with some brief glimpses of other school lessons, and the Snape one alarmed me. Snape wanted them to research antidotes, and he had hinted that he might be poisoning one of them before Christmas to see if their antidote worked. Like, come on. Oh, my gosh. So, I just think he's trying to one-up Moody. He he hears that Moody is putting unforgivable curses on students. What's, What's some poison? You think that's bad? I'm gonna poison the students. <laughs> he wants to have some fun too. Final odd and ends. Hermione again voices her concerns over the house elves, and she's been trying to get people to sign up for Spew, but it's not going well. Neville joined just so she'd stop bothering him. But it makes me wonder: what if the, would there have been a better way to approach kids about this and convince them of the severity of the issue and her concerns? There, there must have been a better way. I was thinking maybe they could hold, Hermione could hold some sort of like presentation in the Gryffindor common room to start. Like, hey guys, I have something serious to talk to you about. I assume she just kind of, I mean, part of the issue, she probably approached it wrong. She's just rattling the tin in people's faces while they're trying to study. Yeah, I think it's an example of a situation where Hermione is being overbearing and that really hinders her ability to deliver the message that she wants. She needs a good PR person. She she needs people like Fred and George really to sell her product, to get people interested. I don't I just don't think she's so passionate about it. She's so overtaken by it that it's kind of clouding her ability to get people to come on board. Like you what you're saying with Neville, like she wouldn't stop pestering him. That's the only reason why he agreed. I will say there's something that's just so school about this that totally like goes back to anytime my classmates were selling something or trying to get people to sign up for interest in, you know, I'm thinking of like student council and, you know, it's like, oh, I need a petition to, you know, and, you know, they get kind of in your face about it. It's like you don't care about the issue because I think you're too young to really like, you know, pitch your tent on any side of the fence. But I, I think that the dynamic between students is really fun and we don't often get that sort of talked about um, in the books. And here's an example of it. And it's that Hermione's failing. Katie, you want to bring up your justice for Hermione point? Yes. Justice for Hermione. I do think it, I'm not wrong here to think that there was a conversation about how, how Hermione could have missed house elves or like, come on, how could you be surprised? Right. You read so much. Well, we find out why they're not mentioned. In all the books. And holy cow. Not in Hogwarts of History. She was coming up with some alternative titles for Hogwarts yes. of History, too, which was what really funny. What a conspiracy. What a conspiracy. Yeah. She what still never asked the question herself. She still never asked, how does the oh, bed get made? Okay. Okay. Yeah. She's not making it. Well, to that point, I mean, she's missing a big piece of the puzzle here, right? She's relying solely on what's inside or not inside the books that she's reading. And I think Fred and George, there's a teaching moment for her here. And Mm -hmm. it's the same thing we talked about with Ron uh, in the last episode. No one's ever been down to actually have a conversation with the house elves to talk to them about what their life is like. And I think for both Ron and Hermione, it's something that they really need to do. And I think for Hermione, until she does it, she's not going to have a full picture of what's going on here. And it's interesting that it's Fred and George that, that kind of deliver this to her. 
All right, it's time for MVP of the week. <sighs> Once again, I'm, I'm Team Eric over here. I'm giving mine to Barty Crouch Jr. for pulling off this lie about Dumbledore, suggesting he imperious the kids. He's been such a cool, convincing Mad-Eye that he can convince the kids this is a real thing that happened. <laughs> I, my hat's off to you, sir. <laughs> Man, we're praising Barty so much, we might have to get a special sound effect. No! <laughs> oh, no. I won't go that uh, far. Uh, I'm going to give my MVP of the week to Filch for figuring out, I assume it was him, how to make the suits of armor not squeak when they move. It was either him or some house elves, but I like to think it was Filch. I'm going to say it was Filch w- has discovered WD-40. That's what I was going to oh, say. Oh, yeah. hardware store. Wizard Dad <laughs> 40. <laughs> <laughs> well, Laura gave it to the horses. Respect for their livers. <laughs> Absolutely. Good point. Maybe they have like fully fortified livers where it just... They're twice as they, thick as any other may, liver. Maybe yeah. they just process single malt whiskey like water. So it's just, you know. I hope so. <laughs> in one end, out the other. Uh, I'm giving my MVPs to Fred and George. Just talked about it, but dropping some knowledge on Hermione and actually giving her some advice that she could follow in future mm-hmm. chapters. And I'm giving mine to Madame Maxine for her entrance, for her black satin, her opals, and her energy. Hell yeah. Listeners, if you have any feedback about today's discussion, you can contact us by emailing or sending a voice memo recorded on your phone to MuggleCast at gmail.com or by using our phone number, which is 19203Muggle. That's 19203684453. Spotify users, don't forget, you can just tap into an episode and send us some feedback right within the episode page. And like I said earlier, we might feature it on the episode page. It's a pretty cool feature Spotify's got. And next week, we'll discuss Chapter 16 of Goblet of Fire, The Goblet of Fire. And now it's time for Quizage. Last week's question, what are the first two words of Sirius's second letter back to Harry this year? I am including the greeting of the letter, which some people got tripped up on. But remember how... Harry wrote Sirius saying my scar is hurting. Sirius said I'm on my way. Harry said never mind. Sirius's reply is nice try, Harry. So I was looking for nice try was the correct answer. Correct answers were submitted by Robbie, Sarah Clarkius, Elizabeth K, Crystal, Molly, Nobby Dobby, Wink Wink It's Winky, Must Be a Weasley 1992, The Single Malt Whiskey That Madame Maxine Horses Drink, <laughs> It's a dragon, it's a flying house, it's an Abraxan-drawn carriage. (laughs) Kaladin Stormblast, Hermione do be spewing facts sometimes. Professor Stumblemore, Supfiggy, Hallowolf, and if this name gets read out, then remember kids, peer pressure works. Oh, (laughs) jeez. All right. Uh, (laughs) That uh, Thank you to all who submitted, and uh, here is next week's Quizzage question. Which Durmstrang student asks Igor Karkaroff to have some wine? Submit your correct answer to us over on the Quizich form, mugglecast.com slash Quizich, or go to uh, MuggleCast website and click on Quizich from the main nav. Katie, thanks so much for joining us today. You were an amazing co-host, and we extra appreciate you for filling in, in a way, for Laura this week. It was a blast. Thank you for having me. And listeners, if you want to co-host MuggleCast one day, you can become a Patreon at the Slug Club level and fill out the co-host form. We have this Patreon because tuition at Hogwarts might be free, but running the show is not. So we really appreciate your financial support. If you're an Apple Podcast user, you can subscribe to MuggleCast Gold, which gets you ad-free early access to MuggleCast, plus two bonus MuggleCast installments every month, and a new bonus MuggleCast coming out very soon, just in time for Valentine's Day. We'll be spinning a character wheel and trying to explain why the two characters the wheel lands on uh, should totally be dating. It's going to be a lot of fun, and (laughs) I'm very nervous. (laughs) And then, of course- Mostly because of what I'll say, I'm sure, right? 
Definitely. Like you're, yes. you're, you're afraid of. Yeah. And just being put under pressure with two care. We don't know what we're, what we're going into right now. It's, it's, it's terrifying. <laughs> Should be a Halloween special. Um, <laughs> but like I mentioned, we have patreon.com slash MuggleCast as well. You'll get all the benefits of MuggleCast Gold, plus live streams, planning docs, the chance to co-host the show one day, a new physical gift every year, the MuggleCast Collectors Club, and more. And then lastly, we do have our Etsy store, which is at mugglemillennial.etsy.com. You can buy one of our Sweet 16 wooden cars, our cozy, comfy combo pack, signed album art, really signed by the four MuggleCasters. We got t-shirts and some other things over there too. mugglemillennial.etsy.com. These are all gifts that we created for patrons. We still have some extras, extras of, so we're selling them now while supplies last. Visit MuggleCast.com for transcripts, social media links, our full episode archive, our favorite episodes, and to contact us. That does it for this week's episode. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Katie. Bye, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.